Hillbilly Horror Stories presents Eerie Encounters. Mike was the best looking boxer dog that I've ever seen. I don't know much about the finer points of dog breeding or how to tell if a dog has a good pedigree, but I knew straight away that he was a prize winner. He was a broad-chested dog, high on elegant legs with a glossy chestnut brown coat covering muscles that were always on the move. His character befitted his breed. He was everybody's friend, adored his family, worshipped his master, and guarded his home with a playful ferocity that wasn't to be underestimated. If anyone were to try to enter the house at night any other way than using a key, Mike definitely wouldn't have played any games with them. In short, he was the ideal dog. The house he guarded was a 16th century mansion in English countryside. Mr. Chesterton and his wife ran a small little boarding school there, and I was to work as a part-time teacher in their grand surroundings. Back in Victorian times, it had housed a girls' boarding school, St. Margaret's. The lofty staterooms designed for the needs of an aristocratic family had for years been used as dormitories, classrooms, and dining halls. Some were now locked up, unused, the air full of whispers and the paintwork flaking. The whole house breathed genteel decay. On that evening back in the 1960s when I joined the staff, Mr. and Mrs. Chesterton took my parents and me on a guided tour of the 90-room house. With its maze of stairways and corridors, Mike trotted happily ahead of us, his nose down leading the way as though the whole place belonged solely to him. This house held no secrets for him, and he certainly knew his way about. This was a welcome opportunity to do a round of inspection. Occasionally, he'd shoulder it open a door as though annoyed that someone had dared to close it without his permission. Let's start at the top, the headmaster said, leading us up sweeping marble staircases with threadbare carpets to an endlessly long, dark attic room that stretched the whole length of the building. Feeble gray light came in here and there from a small cobweb-covered gable window in the roof. Beneath the sloping ceilings on each side stood row upon row of racks with costumes used by those long-gone girls for theater performances. Mike was already pushing his way through the faded silk dresses and skirts which trailed on the ground in the dust, exploring every dark corner behind them. With some trepidation, I remembered that I was to teach English which would probably involve the performance of plays. Wouldn't like to be up here after dark, I mumbled to myself, deciding then and there that the choosing of costumes would have to be done in broad daylight. After touring the first floor with its vast dormitories, we came to the ground floor where the classrooms were. Mike galloped ahead of us. He could smell the kitchen at the end of the corridor. As we entered the dining room, we heard the voices of pupils assembled there for their evening meal. Hey, Mike, come here, Mike. Here, boy, they shouted as he dived under the table to grab the tidbits that they offered him. Leaving them to their meal, we continued our tour. The headmaster's wife was lingering in the kitchen to talk to the cook. Mr. Chesterton turned to us. Well, you've seen all the inside now. If we go through the tradesman interest at the back, I can show you the terrace and the grounds before it gets dark. He beckoned us down a narrow corridor with pantries and storerooms to both sides. It ended in a short flight of ragged stone steps leading into a small square room, which stood completely empty. There were no windows, 
only a door at the far end leading outside into what used to be the stable yard. The yellow plaster on the walls was damp and gave off a vaguely medicinal smell, difficult to identify. It was chilly and without realizing what we were doing, we moved closer together in the middle of the room while we waited for Miss Chesterton to rejoin us. No one spoke for a while. There was an oppressing atmosphere in that room. My mother finally broke the silence. And what's this room used for? She asked timidly. Oh, we sometimes store things in here, answered the headmaster casually, beginning to move toward the yard door. It was at that moment that his wife came in, and with, with Mike at her heels. She was about to say something when I heard my father's voice behind me. What the heck's the matter with that dog? Everyone turned to look at Mike. He was transfixed, motionless, staring upward into a corner of the room. We craned our necks in that direction as well, but there was nothing to see. Looking back at him, we saw a strange transformation. Almost in slow motion, his legs buckled and he flattened, crouching down so low that his belly touched the floor. At the same time, his hackles went up and the dark hairs the whole length of his back stood on end. Trembling, with his ears laid back, he started inching backward out of the room still staring upward into that corner. When his hind feet reached the steps, he flung himself around and we heard him racing back along the corridor. In the distance, we could hear some of the children calling after him. Mike, where are you off to? Mike, come back. We were stunned. There didn't seem to be any explanation to see this strong, fearless dog, afraid of nothing and no one, crawling and scared by something completely invisible. It was bewildering. Um, what exactly do you store here? asked my father, visibly shaken. The headmaster seemed uneasy. Well, to be honest, we don't use this room much, he replied. Well then, what was it originally used for? my father persisted. Mr. Chesterton hesitated. Back in Victorian times, the girls who attended St. Margaret's sometimes became ill, he said in almost a whisper. And if they died... Their bodies were kept in this room until their families came to collect them for burial. We gaped at him, then turned and hurriedly made our way out into the fresh air. Mike wasn't seen for three whole days. He raced out of the house, disappearing into the woodland at the edge of the grounds. Some of the children would catch a glimpse of him among the trees as it began to get dark, but no matter how much they called and cajoled, he wouldn't come back into the house. On the fourth day, he was suddenly in our midst again, just as we were having breakfast, as though nothing had happened. I don't know if he ever entered that room again. I certainly didn't. That story is from Janie Graf Hessing. Whiskey and I had a connection the very moment of her birth. I helped her mother Gizmo, a purebred German Shepherd, give birth to a litter of 12 pups. Whiskey was number nine. The moment she entered the world, I knew that she would be my pick of the litter, and as the pups grew a waning age, so did our bond. Whiskey was my shadow for 12 years. We were inseparable. No matter where I went or what I did, Whiskey was my constant companion. We even rode horses together. She would sometimes ride on the horse with me. 
We went camping, hiking, and fishing together. We were even in a car accident together. The jingle of her collar led me through the darkness to find help at the ranch house nearly two miles from the accident scene. We slept together, ate together, traveled together, and spent every moment of those 12 years within each other's sight. Whiskey was my protector, my confidant, my best friend, my hero. Our journey took a rather tragic turn on January 5th of 1998. We had spent the holidays at my parents' home in Montana. We were celebrating my brother's birthday when my whole world changed. I let Whiskey outside one more time before bed and began finishing up the dinner dishes. In the back of my mind, I thought, I should have gone out with her. Less than 20 minutes passed when I felt the urgent need to check on her and bring her in. At that very same moment, there was a knock at the door. It was a neighbor from down the way. She wanted to let us know that a dog had been hit on the highway, and she suspected that it was one of ours, since my parents had three. My heart hit my knees when she asked, You have a German Shepherd, don't you? I knew then that my instincts had been right, and I began crying. I should have checked. I should have gone. No, not whiskey. No, no. As I felt my world come apart, my heart break, I lost all sense of rationality. I screamed, I cried, and I collapsed on the floor. My dad and brothers left the house to go get her, and I prayed that it was all a bad dream. Whiskey would be fine, just a few cuts and bruises, but in my heart, I knew that she was gone. They brought her lifeless body back in the truck, and I hurried out to prove that I was wrong. She seemed to be asleep, but it was obvious that no life remained. I wrapped her in a blanket and I sat with her through the night. The next day, my brother and I took her to the local vet to have her cremated. The ground was too frozen to bury her and selfishly, I wanted to always be able to have her with me, not in the cold ground all alone. We had been preparing to move to Texas and I didn't want to make that move without her. After all, we had always gone everywhere together. The next night, I sat out on the deck, still unable to stop the tears. Out in the darkness, I could hear the distinct jingle of Whiskey's collar. It sounded as if she were coming up from the river below the house, from the direction of the vet clinic. Instinctively, I called her name. I continued to hear the jingle getting closer and closer. I knew she was making her way back to me. After that night, I could see her several times in her favorite spots in and around the house. She never looked ghostly but as real and as solid as if she were still alive. I could feel her on the bed at night and see the indentation on the mattress. It brought me comfort those first days without her. Over the next few weeks, I began to get my sanity back. I began to feel like living again and decided to take my first drive to the post office. I walked out to the car and unconsciously opened the rear door. I stopped, realizing that Whiskey was not there to get in. My loneliness once again overwhelmed me. So many things about my life had involved her. I drove out of the drive and onto the main road. As I did, I glanced in my rearview mirror, and there she was in the back seat. I turned my head around to get a good look at her, and she was gone. The seat was empty. It was at that moment I came to realize that Whiskey was still with me. She was comforting me through my grief by allowing me to understand that she was still there. I was not alone. How blessed I was not to only have had whiskey for 12 years of her life, 
but to have her present with me even after her death. Whiskey's spirit remained with me for another two years. Her ashes and a picture of her, framed by a friend, sat on the top of a hutch in my living room. Even at my new place in Texas, I would still hear her collar jingle and feel her presence. She left me to begin her permanent residence in heaven when Riley came into my life. Riley is a dog that I was never going to have again, for I didn't want to experience the pain of losing another pet. Yet when I first saw Riley among her litter mates, I knew she was special. Sometimes I wonder if Riley isn't Whiskey reincarnate. They have such similar mannerisms, and my dad slips every time we come home, calling Riley Whiskey. Whiskey's ashes and photo are still on the top shelf of my hutch, as if she were still watching over me. Whether Whiskey is truly reincarnated, or she's just passed her duties onto Riley, I don't really know. I do know, though, that our pets come into our lives to share their unique and special spirits. They become a part of our journey, a very intricate part, and even beyond death, they remain our companions. That story is from Wendy Hertz in Montana. My life growing up in a small town could easily be described as anything but typical. From the young age of three, my life has been filled with a great many encounters with what most people would refer to as simply ghosts. My entire family believes in almost every aspect of the paranormal, but I was the only one of our four family members who actually ever saw anything, and this includes everything from UFOs to aliens to just plain ghosts. The following account is very true and perhaps the second saddest event that I have experienced with the other side. At the age of 12, I was given a puppy by a family from town. He was probably the cutest of the many dogs that I ever had. Being the silly oddball that I am, I named her Willie, the name of my favorite character from the 1980s sci-fi miniseries V. This dog was my baby and she was very spoiled. She was just a mutt, not a purebred or anything special, but she looked like a black and tan curly mop, almost like an Ewok, that fuzzy creature from Star Wars. Willie was so much fun to play with and seemed to be silly just like me. She was so fat that her little belly dragged on the ground when she walked. Willie lived to be quite old. Nine years human, or 63 dog years. And I even got to see her through one litter of pups. I think she could easily still be living today had fate not been against her. At the age of 17, I moved into a house in a nearby town to live with the man whom I thought was going to marry me. Since no pets were allowed, Willie had to stay behind, out in the country six miles away. I visited quite often, though, and I saw her at least every weekend. I missed her lots, but knew that the country was the better place for her to run free. A couple of years into the already failing relationship, I received a phone call from one of my sisters. Just by the tone of her voice, I knew bad news was coming. In all her years of chasing cars, Willie had never run close enough to actually have been hit. But on that fateful day, my most favorite pet had been fatally crushed by a car traveling the lonely back road out where I grew up. Heartbroken, I immediately drove out to see her one last time before we buried her. Or so I thought. Eventually, I moved back home after the four-and-a-half-year relationship had come to an end. 
Many nights before I had moved away, and for many nights thereafter, I would walk the gravel road with my radio. After about a week of walking the road at night, one evening arrived that held both awe and mystery for my weary mind. While on my walk, I passed a spot on the road where Willie had died. I paused a moment because the area around the site looked wavy, like the distortion that you see caused by heat. I backed up to get a different angle on it. To my surprise, the wavy form grew more shapely and distinct. Very clearly, there was a semi-transparent version of my dog, just standing on the road. The first couple of moments, I stood there staring at her, unsure if I should approach. The next thing that happened was strange indeed. I heard a low whimpering sound that was very airy and ethereal. It caught me off guard and I backed up several steps. I never thought I would be afraid of Willie, but I was scared for a little while. After a few seconds of looking at the form before me, I slowly walked back up to her. I knelt down and I called her name. But she remained silent and didn't seem to react to my being there. I reached out in awe, my physical mind thinking my hand would touch nothing. As my fingers hit the edge of one of her floppy ears, I didn't feel fur, but I did feel a cold and tingly sensation. Remember, I wasn't exactly expecting to feel anything at all, let alone frigid air of death. But somehow, on this desolate backcountry road, the other side of life had slipped through the cracks. Again, I called her name, but it was as though I were gazing upon a mere frozen moment in time from the past. I had a sudden feeling deep within my heart that this freeze-frame image was a chance for me to say goodbye, and nothing more. Though I longed to stroke her soft fur again, to feel her lick my hand, I uttered through tears, Goodbye, Willie. Upon doing so, the image faded out. Amazed that it disappeared so suddenly, I lunged forward, feeling for the icy patch of air. My eager fingers touched nothing but empty space. I was left crying alone in the pallid moonlight. Many nights after, before I moved completely away from the area, I walked that same road searching for a sign that he was there. I sat in the road next to where she died. I walked about calling her name. Sadly, I never saw her again. To this day, I still mourn her loss, knowing that she is really gone. I'm grateful that I got a chance to see her one last time. But there will always be an ache in my heart, knowing that we will never meet again. I do not believe that animals have a soul or go to heaven like we do. Unfortunately, I had but one picture of Willie but I've lost it along the way somewhere between one of my many moves. I only know that I still have the image of my beloved Willie burned within my heart and mind forever. That message is from Heather Huddle. You have been listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories Presents Eerie Encounters. If you have an eerie encounter that you would like read on the show, please send it to hillbillyhorrorstories at gmail.com.